the fact that we had a lot of female users and users outside of Tokyo City that essentially cared about saving money. And it was like, what product do we build? We built a lunch coupon and we became the main lunch coupon app. So we're driving a ton of food traffic at McDonald's, at the 7-Eleven and others convenience store where people are buying their lunch. This really unleash a massive scale with, with female users, with non-Tokyo users, because it did this job of uncovering latent needs. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to introduce our next guest, Fabien Pierre-Nicolas, who is currently the VP of Marketing at Smart News, a news app that has over 20 million monthly active users worldwide. It's very cool to have you, Fabien. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and thanks for pronouncing my name really well. <laughs> I think it's... Uh... Having grown up with that, uh, speaking a Latin language is probably easier for me than uh, someone who grew up speaking English. So that's probably where it comes from. And my mother loved speaking French and French is her favorite language. So I think she indoctrinated me early on. Yeah. And my, my uncle was like, actually worked in Romania for a period of time during the fall of Ceausescu. So I had some interesting wow. stories of being held hostage and so on. I never got to visit Romania, only Bulgaria and, and a few other countries around. So, you know, one day I will make it there. Wow, that's awesome. I hope you do. And let me know how it goes. Let's begin the podcast with just how are you doing? This is a crazy time. COVID-19 has changed the way we all work, interact. How are you doing all of this time? Is there something positive that came from all of this for you so far? I'm doing fine. I think um, my wife and I were lucky that a few days before Trump cut off all the flights from Europe, my dad landed in the U.S. to help us educate and entertain my daughter. Because as soon as we heard that schools were to shut down, we were like, ah, what are we going to do? And uh, it's a combination of having someone who was actually a teacher for 40 years around, uh, was a great cook. And then on the work side, you know, COVID-19 has been a period where even more than before, it's showing me why I choose to join Smart News. It's a period where people need quality information, yes. right? Uh, and I've seen the teams like product, engineering, marketing, everybody really mobilized and Thriving to provide the quality information, but as well provide quality data to everyone, both in Japan and the US. To me, it's motivating. I like to work around passionate people. So all in all, you know, things are, are good. And I am taking more time with my family. I'm taking more time calling my friends who are in New York and Paris and other places where it's pretty bad as well. So I think, you know, sometimes yeah. we run so fast, we forget about others. And I think it's a good time to, to reconnect, you know, give food to your neighbors in front of his door and then do the same to you. Um, you know, small things like, like that, that uh, remind us we're all humans. Yeah, it's super interesting. My, I was studying um, the team this weekend. I spent, I had four different friend group Zoom calls and one of them was playing Settlers of Catan online while being on Zoom. So I think the way we interact with the world has changed so much. But you're, you're right. I think I was talking to a friend and they were saying this is definitely the time when they talk to, they end up catching up with people that they haven't caught up with in years because it feels like distance doesn't seem to be as much of a barrier this time, which is 
very, very interesting um, way that things have turned around. Before we go into your background in mobile and get your advice in growth uh, and ask you about some things that have worked for you, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, how you've got here today. And is there something about yourself that someone wouldn't understand by looking at your LinkedIn profile? Well, what like makes you you, I guess, is the question. I know it's a very deep one. <laughs> I think, you know, what makes me me, and especially now that I'm a dad of this like four and a half years old, uh, my daughter is awesome and full of energy. I think big part of my identity is frankly, like having been raised as a feminist by both my mom and my dad, you know, because men have a role to play as well to, uh, to build gender equality. And then, you know, I, I ran actually a presidential campaign. I was national campaign organizer for a French female politician. We won the primaries, uh, but sadly we lost the general election. Uh, in you know, we made it to the second round, but ultimately we lost to Sarkozy wow. in uh, 2007. A presidential campaign. That's yeah. amazing. That was like a second full-time job on the top of my Ubisoft job. Uh, it was intense, but I think I've learned a lot, connected with a lot of great people. And then I arrived here in 2008 and I see, especially in gaming industry, you know, people could be a little bit uh, old school or bro-like or I don't know what you want to call it. You know, during events, they were like, oh, yeah, we don't care about hanging out with some female colleagues and so on. So I, I was like, well, I love this gaming industry, but this has to change. So I really tried to diversify who I was hiring. I really tried to be proactive when it comes to career progression and, you know, helping some of the female team members that were joining my teams in terms of career planning and, and training to make sure that they were, you know, uh, really rewarded versus their skills. And I think, you know, I have so much respect, like someone like you who really became like uh, a co-founder in the tech industry that's still like really male dominated or someone like my SVP product, Genie. It's like 90% of the product and engineer leaders right now in tech are male, right? So when I see someone who broke through I'm like, this is a great, I mean, you guys are great role models for my daughter, right? Because sure, you have those like aspirational role models, like, uh, you know, probably in France and so on. But I do think as well that beyond the historical figures, having people around you who are in San Francisco, right, we could show you that you could do whatever you want and you don't need to be like bucketed in specific areas is super important. So you need those historical figures, one day hopefully a woman president, but you need as well people around you. And so as much as I could play a role as an ally, uh, I will try to do that. I love that. That's so inspirational. I wish more male leaders thought like you. And I think it's uh, it's really awesome to hear. And you know, when I think about my life and the people that helped me, there were a few women, but it was mostly like men managers or mentors that helped me get to where I am. So I think it's, it's so important. So thank you for doing all of that. One really quick follow-up question that got me super interested in is like, what did you learn about being a VP for, of marketing from actually running a presidential campaign? Any like really interesting lessons or insights? I think that's so few, like I don't think I've ever talked to someone in a marketing role who actually ran a political campaign. There's probably so much to learn from that. Well, I think what was so interesting is like in a way, um, you know, you can't be in like uh, we had 450 local committees. Right. So I could not be obviously like visiting all of them, meeting all of them. So I think there was the use of remote tools and documenting processes and so on. But ultimately yeah. empowering the local leaders to make decisions on the really wide areas of things. And so I think it, it got me really early on comfortable with like remote work because, you know, I was sending them things and tools and calling them time to time. 
but you know you can't be having <laughs> being in touch with 450 people every week right so i think you really have to learn how to be comfortable with not having this like very close command and control and just working remotely and hoping for the best and the other aspect is like the power of decentralized systems because I think at least one of the reasons we won the primary and, you know, made it to the second round of the presidential election in France, it's like two rounds, is because we essentially trusted those people to make those choices and run local campaigns. And that's how we beat our competitors. We're still very centralized, you know, heavy structure, like top heavy structures. So it showed me as well what I believe in ultimately, which is like participative democracy, but as well participative, you know, organization in teams and companies are the future rather than those very centralized systems. I was just noticing, thinking about women politics, I realized that I'm wearing my French t-shirt. It says Liberté de la Femme. <laughs> I did not plan it this morning, but somehow maybe my subconscious knew that I was going to do the podcast. <laughs> okay, so you've had that. That's part of your experience. But maybe tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are from a career perspective. I mean, you've you've done some Latin things of smart news that we'll get into after. But uh, tell me a little bit about your career progression. For, and I think others who maybe want to get to a role like yours one day can learn from that. So I think without going back in time to so when I was working in China during the SARS, which was another pandemic, and I was oh, wow. in the middle of it, I will fast forward to 2010. So I think I came in the U.S. 2008 with Ubisoft. I was working on the, you know, mostly console, PC games, like big production value, like AAA things. And then I remember vividly this focus group in Chicago. We were running on one of Ubisoft brands. And those core gamers were coming about a brand they were supposed to be passionate about. And yet, in the middle of the focus group, they were pulling their phone and trying to play Angry Birds, Double Jump, and <laughs> a bunch of like things that people deemed very casual at the time. I was like, wait, yeah. you're supposed to be passionate gamers, and in the middle of a focus group about the brand you're supposed to love, you're still like playing something on, on your phone. I was like, I need to jump in because this is the, the future of the gaming industry. You know, console, uh, PC is here to stay, but this is what's yeah. going to uh, develop fast. So I went to two Asian-based companies, right, DNA and Perfect World, to really focus on helping them out to scale in the U.S. Because I always felt, you know, I, I enjoy essentially a pretty multicultural global work environment. I think they add the games, which matter, right, in mobile. Ultimately, if you have products who have high LTV, high engagement, it's a little bit easier for a marketer to make those works and scale the revenue than if you have products who are not compelling for gamers. Before that, what did you study in school? Like, how did you even get into tech? So initially, I think I had like the dream of becoming a judge. So I went to law oh, school wow. for, uh, so in French, you could start law school right off after uh, graduating from high school. So I went and got two years degree or like current bachelor, I guess, in law. And then I was like, I don't really enjoy that very much because I realized that for the one or two hours of time in court, you have like hundreds of hours spent preparing cases and so on. And I was like, this doesn't seem like really something I will truly enjoy. So I pivoted and went to business school instead. And I was lucky enough that in France, the L'Oreal at the time was looking forward to people who have been working in China and essentially paid mm -hmm. for my MBA. Uh, which was wow. awesome because it's really expensive, even for you, <laughs> even in Europe. So that's my oh, background, okay. mostly. Like I will say, the business side with a little bit, you know, sprinkle of low and in the middle. Okay, and then we talked about going into gaming, and then how did you end up at Smart News? 
So I think, yeah, the trajectory is, I, I you know, after almost 10 years in gaming, I, I self-reflected a little bit and I was like, am I excited to go to an, one more gaming company because I've been doing that over and over? And I reached a point where I was a GM, managing product, marketing, analytics, uh, QA, and the likes. And I was like, truth be told, I'm not so excited anymore about doing more gaming jobs. I want to try to do something new. And that's how I went to uh, first to Appany, where they needed me to market more like utility apps. We were building a panel similar to Nielsen for TV or Comscore for, for web. And after that, you know, uh, tenure at Appany, I was like, okay, now I want to find, my daughter was born, so I want to find a role in a company that will make a positive impact, at least in the US, you know, maybe uh, globally yeah. we'll see later. Um, because I saw 2016 election, and again, I went back to my roots as a feminist, and I was like, this seems like a key threat for progress in general, but especially for women, especially my daughter is mixed, for people who are not white. It, it looks like something is happening that could be really toxic for our future. Could I make a difference? And so that's how I choose to, to join Smart News, because everybody I was meeting at Smart News was like, yeah, we are about quality information. And so I felt that applying my skills to a product that I think will make a positive impact was probably a good idea. And how do you guys ensure that you do make a positive impact? How are you making a change in the world? I mean, of course, you talked about the focus on better news, but how do you ensure that? So I think versus, you know, like some companies that are in similar product offering, they're essentially crawling everything on the internet, right? And everything is included in their product, uh, including, you know, UGC, including source that could manipulate people, you know, skew people's perception and so on. I think the difference is, yes, we're a machine learning company, so I think a lot of content is good, but we have as well this perspective about quality information. So we have both in Japan and in the US uh, a team that will vet that sources are following, you know, mm. what I would call basic journalism principle, but it's like, yeah. if you publish opinions, it needs to be labeled as such. Uh, are you fact-checking? Are you sourcing? If you are referring to somebody else, uh, you know, research, are you correctly sourcing? There is a bunch of principles that they are following. So we are actually vetting the sources were included. Of course, we're not vetting all the content, we're vetting the sources, but if a source starts yeah. to breach those principles, we don't hesitate to take it out because we really want to give people balanced view, right? Conservative, liberal, centrist views yeah. and, and allow you to see the whole spectrum. But we don't want people to be manipulated on our platform. And I think that's a key differentiator versus like social media, where as long as you are sharing a link, right, they are perfectly fine with, with that. And I think they have really struggled with disinformation for many years now. And, you know, they're trying to label things, they're trying to take some action, yeah. but it's kind of uh, still not very efficient to prevent manipulation. That's awesome. I was checking out the smart news growth over the past three or four years since you joined, and it's been like a tremendous growth. I think you guys grow, grew over 20x, and you are in the top five apps on Android. How did you accomplish that? I think I mentioned for gaming that it all starts with product. In our case, I think it all starts with, with content, right? So I think I only joined Smart News mid-2017, just three years ago today, actually. <laughs> but our, our content BD team, we hired, you know, uh, people who have been journalists and so on. And they've been building partnership with U.S. media company since early 2015. And now we have about 450 of them, you know, some big names like CNN, Fox News, but as well some more specialized content. If you have great content, that means in turn, 
in term, as a marketer, you could leverage, say, content, which is ultimately why people are coming to Smart News. They want to read this content in our marketing. So without this team, right, securing the content and building this partnership, I will not be able to tap into that for our marketing. That was the first underlying, from my perspective, thing we needed. And they did this job for uh, well over two years before I joined. So then I took a look at the landscape. Of course, we're big on Facebook and Google. But I was like, how could we differentiate, right? And so I thought for audience, where are they currently looking and consuming news? So my first approach was saying for people who are 50 plus mostly, let's go TV, cable TV on the performance side, right? Mm. You could have CPMs who are extremely low currently because there is a lot more cable TV offering that there is demand from those traditional brand advertisers. So we started in September 2018, did a TV campaign, and that was you know on CNN, on Fox News, on MSNBC mostly, like 90% of our spend or more, and we made it work. We tested, we, you know, AP t- or multivariate tested our creatives, and essentially we found one that was a clear winner versus the rest, and keep running this creative for a very long period of time. And that really, frankly, helped us in terms of, of course, brand awareness, but as well, it drove a lot of downloads and really helped us scale uh, on iOS. You know, more recent experiment we're doing is we've noticed that compared to U.S. population, we've kind of have a deficit of uh, 18 to 29 years old. So we're testing on Snap. We're testing how to scale using Instagram as well. Mm. Um, And and TikTok is uh, in the pipeline. We really ultimately want to say, hey, you know, this audience, we're not going to give up and we're not going to believe like some people tend to portray millennials or or younger audience as uh, people were not interested in, in quality information, hard news and so on. We think there is different segments, right, in this age group. There is no reason not to be on those platforms. Just because you're using Snap doesn't mean you're not interested in news overall. The last aspect is really just getting a lot of feedback inside the company and having a collaborative attitude helps. So that's that's the last part. I always give this tip and trick. It's like even in the past, sometimes I was more guarded versus you know product teams or engineering team providing feedback. At this point, I consider everybody could have a perspective and you need to receive it. That doesn't mean you always need to follow, but you need to receive it and have a reasonable discussion with them about it. That's one thing I've learned later in my career. <laughs> That's a very good advice. That's something that I've, I've struggled to learn as well. <laughs> so just, just a follow up one, you know, you're using so many different channels. I'm curious, have you seen any trends since for in the past month? With COVID, I've uh, I've been running these roundtables, and I've heard in certain verticals that the costs have gone down. Is that the case? Is that what you've seen in the market as well? It's I mean mostly you know the, the key change we've seen for us you know platform like Facebook, Google, and so on. There was two joint trends. One is that click through rate got a lot higher because you know mm. suddenly a lot of our content was about COVID nineteen and people were like I need to know more right so yeah. of course it translated in higher engagement and in turn we got as well our, our retention and engagement on average became uh, a lot better so since we arbitrage you know looking at the potential to to recoup on single user we acquire suddenly the the projected LTV at least got a lot better so we were able to. Acquire more users. So that was a combo of more demand and more yeah. engagement slash lifetime value for us. But the CPCs have stayed the same. I think the question is, um, you know, now a lot of companies are not spending as much. So I'm curious to see if like, because there is less demand, 
Traditionally, both in Japan and the US, I will see most of the ad demand we have in our products since we are driven, right, in terms of our monetization, are performance advertisers. So you will have some performance advertisers, advertisers got out of the market, like travel, but there's still like so many others that yeah, ramped up. Like, that are going, they're ramping up. Yeah, no, definitely like the food deliveries and like, yeah. All in all, we haven't seen this decline, as I will prefacing yet. Yeah, that's um, great. You know, so it's it's good. And again, I think it's different versus more traditional media company where you have like 50, 60% of your revenue, at least, right, coming from the big brands who have reigning, of obviously, spending because, you know, if you're a Procter & Gamble and those guys, right now, they don't need to advertise. <laughs> Products are flying off the shelves. And so, yeah. um, but again, we're not dependent from those advertisers yet um, in the U.S. or in Japan too much. So we're not expecting CPMs to decline again too much, or I've seen that. Got it. That. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's just so interesting to hear different perspectives and what everyone else is seeing in the market. So you've talked a lot about successes. How about, you know, something you tried that didn't work that well? I think sometimes we learn more from hearing about things that fail with others or with ourselves than, than just from successes. Well, I think we tried, <laughs> there was at least like three other failures before trying TV, right? I was like, well, TV obviously is a little bit more committed in terms of like, you need to produce creatives that could run TV, you need to like find a TV agency and so on and so forth. So we did like three types of tests that were like easier to track, more digital and so on. Newsletter marketing, podcast marketing, and then influencer marketing. And each time, you know, I was like, we run a test, let's say it fails, let's try again, right? Maybe with different partner, different strategy. So I like to do, at least generally, if we do one test one quarter, we're going to rerun it with a different partner the following quarter if it fails. And each time, frankly, like the cost per install, the cost per retain user was through the roof. We did not manage to unlock any of uh, any scale and to find, like, frankly, partners that were reliable and, and cared about making us successful. So we'll keep spending with them. So, you know, I will say... I don't regret those experiments. I think we, you know, we needed to test those buckets. We did it interviewing other growth leaders before. So we'll understand the do's and don'ts and do it, you know, take the best shot possible on those channels. And then we build this knowledge base so that now, let's say, you know, if my Japan counterparts is like, oh, what do you think? I'm going to try influencer marketing. At least I could provide in case study on yeah. how it failed on our end. That doesn't mean it's going to fail for Japan, but clearly at least we didn't make it work. And I think having the discipline to always be testing is what makes a good, you know, mobile uh, marketing or mobile growth team ultimately. So, And it's great that you documented it. I think that's something that I still see at branch, someone coming in and saying, let's do this. And I'm like, we tried this three years ago. <laughs> so I think documentation is so important. I think we don't, I wasn't very good in the early days. I've become a lot better in the past few years. So I think, you know, one, one thing I've been following you on LinkedIn for a long time and you have a lot of opinions. You're very outspoken. I definitely think of you as a, uh, as an influencer when it comes to mobile marketing uh, and an expert. What are some trends, innovations that you foresee coming in the future that you think, you know, other marketers should keep an eye on and something you're willing to share in that area? Well, I think that the first, you know, I don't know if you could call that prediction, but at least I'm, I'm definitely seeing, uh, even for ourselves, right, in, around Facebook, we now have mostly a team of engineers with a product manager in terms of like all our ad buying on Facebook, rather than, you know, just relying on manual operation. So I think 
as other platforms like you know the the Snap, the the Google, and so on are, are trying to catch up, right? Providing more and more APIs to automate the work. I do think ultimately, you know, you will have engineers building systems that operate those platforms, a product manager to keep iterating right around that. But I do not think that the user acquisition as someone who manually operate campaigns will exist for we look three, four years down the line, I think it will only exist for very small operations. But if you're a big company, and especially if you're mobile slash web first, I do, I do not think that you will still um, you know, have a job yeah, where you manually operate those campaigns. That's my, my core take. So I think you, know, you could learn how to code. You could at least learn how to query the data, right? become a, maybe data analyst. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that just staying a user acquisition manager is a viable long-term you know, value proposition for your career. The maybe second, again, prediction is I, I do yeah. not think that mobile marketer will disappear just because user acquisition marketers will disappear. I think... If you are someone who could really lead, you know, a go-to-market plan and like build a consumer segmentation, if it's a more mature market, recommend what product or feature need to be built versus, you know, the different segments of the market, and of course, like build a strategy to market efficiently to the consumer segment you want to reach. Those marketers will still be worth their price in gold, right? Those marketers will understand the mobile metrics, but as well are capable of taking a step back and being key strategic players, I think they will have a lot of value. And, you know, I had a great boss for over two years at Smart News who exactly did that, right? He was like, what are the latent need in the market? And he surfaced the fact that we had a lot of female users and users outside of Tokyo City that essentially cared about, you know, saving money. And he was like, what product do we build? We built a lunch coupon. And we became, you know, the main uh, lunch coupon app. So we're driving a ton of food traffic at McDonald's, um, at the 7-Eleven and others, convenience store where people are buying their lunch. And this really unleashed a massive scale with, with female users, with non-Tokyo users, because it did this job of uncovering latent needs, right? And then pushed the product engineering team to build it and then marketed it well. I think those are both like really interesting trends and I can see both of them coming true. So good predictions. You know, I think we've talked about some things that Smart News has done to adapt to COVID-19. But if there's anything you'd want to add or talk a little bit about how you're adapting in your personal life. I am a manager in my team. So I think one thing that maybe uh, I wasn't doing when I was in the office is just checking up with people in my team and making sure, you know, both in the 101, but as well in our group stand-ups and so on, that we were spending a little bit of, you know, social time, like joking around, just inquiring if people are okay. We did some remote lunch, I think, just injecting more human in the work life, maybe. And then became, I think, more involved in my daughter education through, you know, the she has some classes still, like Zoom classes at 10 a.m. And I think now I'm attending them. I'm, you know, monitoring her learning, especially in French, which is exciting. And now <laughs> amazing. making sure I use French with her a lot more. Uh, so I think this is a change. I was involved more, like, you know, helping to pick the school and so on, but I wasn't as involved in our education. Ultimately, I think now I'm 
super glad that we're speaking in French. And in like two or three months, she became fluent. And I'm like, wow, I wish I was, I had the same trajectory when it comes to learning English, because it took me many, many years. <laughs> well, it's so much easier as a, as a kid. Like I think I used to watch Italian television because Romania didn't have Romanian. And I learned Italian just by watching cartoons. And like, I can't imagine myself right now, or even when I was in high school, being able to pick up a language so fast as I was when I was like, you know, in primary school. So I think, you know, this is definitely the time for her to learn because I think as we get older, our brains like don't yeah. learn a language as fast. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people who admire everything you achieved in your career and want to be where you are. So what advice would you have for them? And, you know, maybe the best way to phrase this question is what kind of advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Yeah, well, I think uh, <laughs> I was playing a lot of Counter-Strike Counter and Warcraft and so uh. on when I was in, in <laughs> high school. Uh, so I think you're paying a little... Well, but it helped with your mobile. You went into gaming. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's... So how many people can say that they're like gaming... With you, it actually turned into a career. To your point, it did help for my career. However, <laughs> I think during the the classroom, I was mostly like, chatting with friends and so on. I think I, I should have paid more attention in statistics. Uh, and I think I will, you know, that will have definitely helped. And then, um, you know, the only language I ever coded in was HTML, um, you know, before the, a bunch of changes happened that made that pretty irrelevant as a skill. So I think, you know, more statistics and a little bit more like coding, not just playing games, uh, would have been useful to then connect, you know, with product and engineering teams yeah. even better. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's silly, but I do think that's one of the things, at least in business school, is I was able to learn how to connect with finance I was, or logistics or, you know, like supply, like other teams, even though it didn't become my expertise. But I still feel to this day that time to time, at least with engineers and product manager, I wish I had a little bit more statistics and, and coding experience. Mm -hmm. So I will be better at communicating with them. That's probably my one one recommendation. Hopefully, you yeah, know, that's a good one. people are having that's their, their own path. Um, and uh, and I think uh, so many changes will happen in the next 20 years. It's kind of always hard to predict if this advice is yeah. sound or not. But hey. <laughs> I think like, you know, being technical, as you said, marketing is becoming more data driven and engineering driven. I think being technical will never hurt. So I think that's like very good universal advice. Before we move to our lightning round, I'm just just personal curiosity as a mobile gamer myself. That's my one addiction in life. Are you, do you still play games? Is this something you still do? And do you have any yeah. favorite? Yes, I do play. I think uh, I usually always have one game I keep and one game I rotate. So I, I think I uh, download about like four or five games per month and uh, still probably, you know, I don't know if you could say waste, but spend like five to ten hours per week like playing uh, mobile games uh, when when I was going to work or sometimes before falling yeah. asleep and so on, I think I'm still pretty addicted. Uh, and, and now I don't have to think on how to design it and market it anymore, yeah. which is actually more enjoyable than when I was in the mobile gaming industry. I used to play more hardcore games, like I played Rise of Civilization and I spent thousands of dollars. I think I was in this clan and I kept saying, no, but I'm learning about leadership. And then now I just like stopped myself. There was a time, like sometimes even during work, I would go to the bathroom for five minutes and I would check on my clan. And now I just like, I do not play. I only play games where I don't interact with others, like threes. And those are the only ones I allow myself because it's it's a bad addiction. It's like... Yeah, it's only, I like the fact that you could track more your usage time now. That's what got me to actually stop. I'm like, this is ridiculous. 
Okay, so let's go into the lightning round. If you had to delete all the apps you had on your phone and you could only keep one, what would it be? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to first like push on the side work-related apps and smart news. So I think, as I mentioned, I'm a mobile gamer. So uh, whatever turn-based strategy game I'm currently addicted is usually something I can't live uh, without. So I play 120 hours Risk Global Domination simply because you could play against other people. And it's awesome because, frankly, the level is, is really good. And I always... You know, I, I miss that. At, at home, my daughter is already addicted to Monopoly with me, but not yet risk. I think it's a little bit maybe when later on oh, six or seven. Now you're making me want to play it, but I can't break my rule. It sounds so good. <laughs> so if you had an app to talk to one animal, what animal would that be? So I will pick a horse because my daughter has been obsessed with horses for like a year and a half. I took her horseback riding two times. And we're reading this French comic named Yakari, where the main character speaks to his horse. So I think, you know, just having me being able to speak to the horse would probably make her so happy. And that's why I will pick this animal. I'm personally more a cat person than a horse person, but hey. <laughs> We've never had a horse before. We've had a lot of people that said dogs, including myself. But I think horse is a super interesting one. And then the last question, what's the most unlikely app on your phone that would help us understand you better? <laughs> well, I already mentioned I'm interested in politics, but I think I have both done, I've downloaded so many like political parties or candidate apps. <laughs> and uh, the two that I've kept, just because I, I go back to them time to time, is the Prime Minister of India, Narendra Modi, and then the Tennessee uh, GOP is having an app. And I'm just really curious on, you know, in general, the parties and candidates' usage of yeah. apps to keep their callback or engaged. I don't know the Bernie's app as well. I, I think there is something that's awesome. still not fully exploited very well. And so, it, but, you know, I keep coming back yeah. to the different ones being published to kind of assess if at some point somebody will figure that out. Uh, I think there is great potential to unlock, but I don't think it has been unlocked yet. So what does the Prime Minister of India's app what kind of content is there? That's like, I didn't even know there were apps like this. I know I should because I mean, I live in the app world, but that's so cool. Well, so you could have, you know, like essentially it's everything, the tool set to back him up, right? So it's like what he says, uh, you know, like um, different arguments you could share with your friends or families about why what he's doing is great, different speeches wow. giving and so on. And I think, you know, it makes so much sense to have an Android app. In India, it's like 90 plus percent of the market. Yeah. And it's like, really about i think it's probably the best political app out there at this time from, wow. from my perspective because it's like past a campaign app right you really build this community uh and you build it in, so in cool. a, something that is not owned by facebook or twitter or whatever right that is owned by himself which yeah. means like it's going to be like nobody could decide to take him offline essentially that's so interesting yeah i mean I, as, as i think about mobile i really think we live in the age of empires right like the web used to be this democracy. Everyone could put something up. But in mobile, I think you do depend so much on the platforms. And, you know, Google could take him down, to be honest. Like, they could take his yeah. app down. It's less likely that that would happen. But it's very interesting that no one could take someone's website down. But in mobile, like, you do really depend on these empires to actually survive and thrive and, and following their rules. And, and they're very benevolent. They're benevolent dictatorships, but they're still, I would say, dictatorships. I will tend to agree with you. I think we'll get to a point where, well, I think it was Evan Zuckerberg who was calling for political regulation of 
the space. Of himself, yes, I know. It's like... I was like fascinated. I'm like, actually, I, I do agree with him on this, right? Is yeah. At some point, those companies have so much power over people's life that not yeah. having a check and balance is bad for them. Not just for us as citizens, but as well for them. I hope we'll get well, to a point where they, there is a, a sort of uh, international coordination in G8 or other structures yeah. where they decide together of rules that should be uh, applied to Apple, Google, uh, Tencent and the like. I'm not sure if I fully agree with you. I actually think like politics are, it's going to take a lot. I think the actual solution is I've been listening to The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek and he's making the argument that it's actually very hard to bring regulation and actually the way we think of capitalism should be slightly different. Like the the way we thought about capitalism in the early days was that every business should have, you know, a cause, a just cause to make the world better. And now all businesses are thinking, most businesses are thinking about how they can make the most money and not like sometimes forget the cause that they were started. Like Facebook had the cause and now because of the power of shareholders and the way the capital markets work. I actually think we should think as business leaders about how we can like continue to go after our just causes without the political regulation is one thing, but they sometimes I think it moves so much slower than capitalism and corporations move. So I wonder if there's a way we can make a, if there's something there. Uh, you know, a point where actually I think regulation move at a relatively good pace was GDPR, right? GDPR in Europe. Yeah. Uh, upended, of course, the mobile and non-mobile biz uh, at business. But I think they, they went at it with, you know, fair rights for the people. And it's like force and transform an industry. And now you see California adopting similar rights. You see other countries reviewing that yeah. to say, hey. Uh, no, that's a great one. You're right. Or in, in a phone number portability in the U.S. and in Europe, the same thing, right? People have the right to keep their phone number and port it over from AT&T yeah. to T-Mobile to Sprint. So I think it's just like thinking about new rights that need to be created. It's the same as uh, gig workers, right? So how do you help them having retirement, having healthcare yeah. uh, when they work for like three or four uh, gig company? We'll, we'll need to reinvent some of the system we built 50 years ago to make them enter the mobile age. Yeah, I think I think it definitely needs to be a mix. I think it's regulation is part of it, as you're saying. And I think the other part of it is making sure that as leaders, we don't just think about maximizing profit and we think about maximizing, you know, the good or the change that we want to make in the world. So it's not easy, right? Especially whether you're visiting. It's not easy. Public, when, you're, when you go public, I think it becomes even harder. I think it's easier when you're a small, you know, when you're the size of ranch or smart news. I think it's easier when you become public. Yeah. It becomes very different. So I, I agree with you. So let's end on that. I think that's a great place to end. It was amazing having you. Thank you so much. This was such an interesting conversation. And any way that our listeners can find you or connect with you if they're interested in learning more? Your LinkedIn, as you say, I'm pretty active, publish a lot. So Fabian, Pierre, Nicholas on, on LinkedIn. I share opinion on a wide range of topics. My tweets are a little bit less rich, I think, but at FP Nicholas. And, you know, people could always reach out on my email as well, fabian.nicholas at smartnews.com. The worst case scenario, I will have a very small answer if it's a sales <laughs> outreach saying not interested. But if it's not a sales outreach and you just want, you know, my two cents or advice on something, I think in general, I, I take the time to respond. That's one thing I've learned in Silicon Valley is helping others uh, when they reach out matters. Um, it doesn't matter because you're going to reach out to them later. It just matters because I think it's a good practice. It's good karma. Yeah, good karma. <laughs> exactly. If you do it, others, you know, if that's the standard, people will, yeah. 
Well, thank you so much again. Uh, it was great having you. And I'll see everyone else next time. Yeah, it was great. Thank you, Madam. Stay safe. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.